Submitted. We'll hear argument next in number 91-2051, South Dakota versus Greg Borland. Spectators are admonished to remain quiet until you get outside the courtroom. The court remains in session. General Barnett. <clears throat> Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. In 1944, Congress recognized that there was a need to bring the massive Missouri River under control. They passed the Flood Control Act at that time, which was to authorize the construction of reservoirs and dams and to convert that river to public beneficial uses. By 1954, that scheme had had resulted in the uh, entry into an agreement between the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe and the government that for a sum certain, all lands, interests, claims, demands, etc., in the affected property would be conveyed in fee simple or in fee title to the United States, subject, however, to certain conditions, quote, hereinafter set forth, end quote. The treaty underlying this dispute is the Treaty of 1868, which for all intents and purposes is indistinguishable from the treaty that this Court considered in Montana versus U.S. some 12 years ago. The issue before the Court today is whether in light of that uh, alienation of land under the, under the Act, whether or not the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe somehow retained regulatory authority over non-members on what was now and is now public land. To answer that question, but, but what, what used to what did it used to be part of the Cheyenne River Indian Reservation? Yes, it did, Your Honor. And uh, the I should say the eastern boundary of the reservation jutted out into the mid-channel, quote unquote, uh, of the river, and that reservation boundary is still there at this time, out into the water somewhere. The uh, reservation is approximately two million. Does that mean, just so I have, does that mean that the area in dispute is now within the reservation? There is uh, the, the issue. We have not brought the issue before the court today of diminishment. Uh, and you haven't brought it here, but it was decided below that there was no diminishment. There's no appeal. Ergo, we have to accept the the case is coming to us with this territory being within the reservation. I think that's a fair statement, Your Honor. Uh, I should state as a way of factual background that there are some 2,800,000 acres in this reservation. Approximately 1,400,000 or half of the reservation has been alienated out to non-Indian fee ownership. And it's particularly important in this analysis that the court keep in mind that the strip of take land that was along that western side of the Missouri River and on the eastern edge of the reservation included not only 100,000, 104,000 acres of, of tribal land, but also 18,000 acres of non-Indian fee land. <clears throat> Is that a checkerboard situation on the reservation where the, the holdings of fee land and reservation are kind of uh, uh, like a checkerboard? There, it is interspersed. I think it would be accurate to say that the majority of the fee land on the reservation is towards the northwest corner or away from the river. However, again, as I mentioned, the other portion of fee land that had uh, taken place in this reservation prior to the taking was along that river, some 18,000 acres. And so there's really two areas where fee land had, had come into being. And then between those, slightly removed from the river and in many places directly along the river was still fee land. Uh, so, yes, there was interspersing. Since the gates of this dam have closed and the water has arisen, 
tribe has not sustained. Does this case involve the, uh, any of the fee land except uh, the, uh, the uh, area taken by the United States? It does not anymore. It did originally. The uh, courts below have found, and the tribe has basically conceded, that as to the fee lands not in the take area, that they were no longer claiming jurisdiction. However, they had originally in the uh, declaration in 88 that caused us to go to court. <clears throat> the tribe has not sustained, quote, an independent and vigorous scheme of wildlife management on this reservation. And I quote from the government's brief at page 6. The district court found, and I quote, the tribe, meanwhile, does very little game management, end quote. The tribe admitted through its game fish and park director at trial, this is in your joint appendix at 379, that the tribe does not do any management on the Missouri River and does not even have a plan, a plan for fishery management. That is at 381. How does that bear on the legal issues involved in this case, General Burnett? The tribe has, for a period of some 30 years, Your Honor, the state of South Dakota has vigorously managed all of this pub public property uh, and assumed jurisdiction over all of this area, both the take land, whether it was previously Indian land or whether it was previously uh, fee land by non-Indians, as well as all the waters. We have asserted and maintained and exercised jurisdiction and management of that asset, and the tribe is not. No, but does, does that bear because of some statute or some case from this court? I mean, how do you tie that fact into the established uh, law re uh, regulating this subject? I, I think that it is the most compelling evidence of how all of the parties to this entire transaction have construed the 54 Act. The 54 Act made it quite clear that uh, all interests, all lands, were to be conveyed to the public, to the government, and that is in Section 1, except for such conditions are set forth in the Act. Section 2, again, suggests all interests, not just the land, but the interests were being conveyed to the public. And last but not least, Section 10, which was drafted by the tribe itself and adopted by Congress by the, in the form submitted by the tribe, the tribe was... Uh, treaty rights were to be limited in the future to access, whereas before, but for the navigational servitude, they might have claimed that they had control under Section 10. They were reduced to a position of access, and I quote, subject, however, to regulations governing the use by other citizens of the United States. And so our position is, Your Honor, that for 30 years we have read that act to say just what it, to mean just what it says that the tribe had lost the power to exclude. And I might point out in, in that contention that the tribe lost the power to exclude that Section 4 of the 44 Act, which authorized the entire process, uh, specifically said that no use of these areas uh, shall be allowed, which is inconsistent with the game and fish laws of the state in which the area is situated. We read that to mean just what it sounds like it says that the state game laws will be in control in these areas. Uh, General Barnett, am, am, I, am I correct that uh, you, you have taken or you have represented to us that the only regulation to which the state has consented in the past, uh, basically by agreement, I guess, has been regulation uh, of, of, um, res of, of Indians on the reservation lands uh, as distinguished from uh, uh, non-tribal members? We have, uh, we have conceded and we do concede today that the tribe is in charge of game problems, game management and so forth, even as to non-members on tribal trust lands, the lands that they still have the power to exclude from. But we have contended that as to those areas that they cannot exclude, they have lost the power to regulate. I might add that, and I would suggest that it's in deference to, to the citizens who are tribal members, we also are not contending today that, that or rather we are conceding that the tribe can, uh, can regulate that activity of its own members out on this public property. We're not even arguing that point but only that we are regulating the activity of non-members on this public property. <clears throat> we, uh, I should point out that, that uh, just so you, if I may, uh, cover briefly 
what the state has done in the way of exercising that jurisdiction. We have what the district court found was a pervasive law enforcement, end quote, presence on all of these public properties. We have initiated a comprehensive and substantial wildlife and fishery management program. We've stocked 72 million fish out in this asset, including stocking fish along the area that once was tribal land. We've monitored, managed, we have an endangered species plan. We have what the court basically recognized we have developed. And I might add we've developed in partnership with the federal government. We have developed what is now, in the words of the district court, a nationally recognized fishery with regard to certain game fishes. <clears throat> you might ask, and I think it's a fair question, if the state has exercised jurisdiction for 30 years and the tribe has not, which is clearly what the district court found, then how did we get to this dispute? In 1988, the state attempted to enter into an agreement with the tribe with regard to the taking of deer, not just on the public property and not just on the reservation, but in effect a joint uh, opportunity for hunters to buy one license, split the revenue between the entities, and allow the hunter to go where the game is without respected jurisdictional boundaries. That, those negotiations break, broke down when the tribe insisted that before non-members could hunt on that public property, they would have to have tribal permission. We could not accede to that demand, and so at that time negotiations broke off and the tribe then publicly announced, and I'll quote the uh, tribe's brief, quote, the tribe announced its intentions to enforce tribal hunting and fishing regulations on the taken area. That's at page 14. And the announcement that they used was, quote, all hunters must now hold tribal hunting license to hunt on any and all lands within the exterior boundaries of the reservation. The state license will no longer be honored, end quote. And yet the tribe comes before you today and suggests that they've had jurisdiction and exercised jurisdiction for all those years. And I would submit to this court that if they have, why did they need to go with a public announcement suggesting that now you must have a tribal license to hunt on these public lands? I would submit to the court as well. I suppose they could have had, uh, thought they had uh, jurisdiction before, but simply decided that, that as a matter of comedy, they would honor the state hunting license. I think that the, that the best evidence of what the tribe thought was the fact that for some 30 years they had not made any actual, they had had a regulation in, uh, I believe, the 30s under the Indian Reorganization Act that suggested or that they claimed uh, gave them jurisdiction over these non-member activities. However, no enforcement efforts at any time. And I refer the court to the, the tribe's uh, brief, footnote 17, where they say, in the single trial, tribal court action on record against a non-member, one action in all those years, and that's a reference to a 1990 case after this litigation began. General Barnett, where, where, where does the state acquire the authority to issue hunting licenses for this land? I would submit first uh, under Rosebud v. Knipe, the principle that this court has suggested, another case coming out of South Dakota, that uh, when the state has exercised jurisdiction for so many years, without objection through those years from the government or the tribe, that this can create jurisdictional expectations that it also is good evidence of how the parties construe the law. Could, could, the, could the Corps of, Engineer, um, uh, Corps of Engineers uh, say uh, anybody can, uh, uh, can hunt and fish without a state license or will issue a Corps of Engineers license instead? I would, I would submit that the, there isn't any question that the federal government has the right to regulate this property, and it, probably the answer to that question is yes. But it's also, I think it's also pertinent that the Corps has worked with us through all these years. Well, I thought maybe your authority came from the Corps', uh, from the Corps uh, regulations, which, uh, which say that all other federal, state, and local laws and regulations remain in full force and effect where applicable to these water resource development projects. I think, I think that's an additional source, and I think a source even earlier than that is Section 4 of the 44 Act, which made it clear this was to be opened up uh, 
to the public for boating, recreation, fishing, and so forth. Well, I have no doubt about that, I, but I just wonder whether, you know, why it is that the state gets the right to exclude anybody. Uh, I think there's also a principle land. that runs through the cases of this court that, uh, that the power is not exercised by the federal government, and mm-hmm. particularly with regard to navigable waterways, are reserved to the state. Well, I thought you uh, uh, thought that the analysis in Montana would, uh, in the Montana case, would control this case. I, I would submit that that is the, the case, Your Honor. And the court below thought otherwise. The court below thought otherwise. I would refer you to the district court comment in its decision where it said, this case is indistinguishable from Montana versus U.S. Well, where did, uh, where did Montana say the state got the authority to, uh, to uh, regulate uh, uh, on a uh, fee land? I, I think it was a recognition of the concept that, that uh, jurisdiction over these waterways, to the extent not used by the federal government, uh, should remain in the states. And in fact, during the discussion of the ownership of the bed, uh, the court noted the equal footing doctrine, which made it very clear in that case that Montana owned the bed and that uh, there were certain inherent sovereignty sorts of rights that reserved to the state for the management of that water. Uh, is it, con- is it uh, clear and conceded by everyone that this... Uh property that the United States took is open to the public? I don't think there's any dispute about that, Your Honor, although perhaps so, uh, the other side would... So even though it's in the inside the reservation, uh, uh, do, does the public have a right uh, to, to come and go to that property despite uh, uh, what the tribe wants to do? Could, could the tribe exclude the public from uh, this, uh, we, we entirely can, from this property? We contend that they can neither exclude from this property nor regulate the non-members that come on this property. That is what the Montana... Well, let's just uh, stick with exclusion. Can they... No, they cannot. Have they claimed that they can? There was testimony by the tribal chairman that, yes, if they wanted to, they could exclude non-members from this public property. However, they have not made the effort, as the district court found, they have not at any time in the last 30 years either attempted to monitor non-member access to this property, nor have they made any effort to exclude. What's the shape of the property, General Barnett? Is it a kind of a long, narrow track running along the river? It is. The river is, according to the U.S. Geological Survey, 2.16 miles wide on average, and something over 200 miles long. And so... If you were to analogize to, because it is a navigable waterway, to analogize it to highways, it would be a two-mile-wide highway, something like 200 miles long. Well, you, you say the, you said the river is 2.16 miles wide. Is, is, is that what you meant to say? Yes, the river is on average two miles wide. The original jurisdictional line of the reservation juts out into the mid-channel somewhere. So, so we're talking about duck hunting, or? Uh, I mean, are we talking about hunting from dry land or from in the river? All of the above. There would, there's dry land hunting for deer and game, birds, the uh, land. How, how, how much of a land uh, is there, of, say, from the regular bank level, bank full level of the river to the edge of the condemned property? I would call it a narrow strip. It basically is that amount of land that the Corps wanted to reserve so that if there were several years of heavy rain, that that they would not go above the take line. Are we talking about several hundred feet, several hundred yards? It it varies anywhere from a couple hundred feet to several hundreds of yards. And it extends for a long distance along the the river channel? All along the edge of the reservation. As I say, some of which was fee land and some of which was not. But the tribe isn't asserting any claim to regulate hunting on what used to be fee land, is it? Yes, they are. They are? Yes, they are. Now, is, is, that, is, is that claim before us? Yes, it is. And the, the uh, no, when I say that, that the claim was land, subject to the remand order, wasn't it, below? Yes. Okay. When I say the fee land, I am referring specifically to the fee land which was fee land before the take. In other words, the non-Indian property that was along that edge of the river that, that was taken along with the Indians' land along the edge. 
The fee land off in other parts of the reservation, the 50 percent, they are not at this time any longer well, contending uh, Well, then, before the, uh, bef before the United States took this fee land for this project, the <coughs> Did the Indians claim authority to regulate uh, the owners of that particular fee land that the government? They, they had passed regulations they had not ever enforced. And in fact, as early as 1952, as Exhibit 213 reflects, the state was exerting You mean they treated this the, the, before, in, in the time before the project was taken, uh, did the Indian tribe uh, treat the fee land that was taken differently from the fee land and other parts of the reservation? Not that I'm aware of. And I think that the, the, the fairest way to categorize that well, is that... If the, if, the, uh, if the project had never been taken, if the United States had never taken the land, would the Indians today uh, claim that they had uh, the authority to regulate uh, hunting and fishing on the fee land that the government did take? They're not making that claim as to the fee land, as to the, take, as to the take area, which included some fee land, yes, they were contending and do contend today that they have jurisdiction over that. And I would submit, Your Honor, that had there never been a 1954 Act to come along and to expressly remove all interests of the tribe as to this property, even then under the navigational servitude that this Court has talked about in Montana and in other cases, would suggest that they have lost the power to exclude these non-members. And these non-members, once the, the, the power to exclude them is lost, the court in Montana and in Brendale has made clear that the tribe also loses with it the right to regulate those. Was it, wasn't Montana dealing only with fee land? In other words, there's some broad language in Montana, but the, the issue in Montana only concerned fee land, didn't it? it can, that's correct. It is fee land that, that was in that dispute. And that turns to the tribe and the government's uh, argument, I suspect, that, that Montana and Brendale, Montana in particular, can be distinguished from this case on the ground that, that the decision on Montana, in Montana turned upon the intent of the Allotment Acts. And I would submit to you that that is an excessively broad reading of footnote 9. I think that their case hinges upon their understanding of footnote 9, which talked about the Allotment Act intent of disestablishing these reservations, and that that intent was uh, uh, opposite to the concept of exclusivity and regulation. I would submit, however, and I would, uh, in fact, I would quote the final sentence in footnote 9 in the Montana case. But what is relevant in this case is the effect of the land alienation occasioned by that policy. In other words, what the court was saying is that uh, Whatever the intent of the Allotment Act, or in this case under the Cheyenne River Act, to open it up to the public, whatever the intent, the effect is what's important. Even though the Indian Reorganization Act repudiated the intent of the Allotment Act, nonetheless the effect was still the same. This land had gone out of the Indian domain. They had lost the power to exclude. And so our contention is that just the same under the 54 Act, not to mention navigational servitudes, under the 54 Act, they lost that power to exclude, and so it is, as the district court said, indistinguishable. I don't think it matters who owns, whether the, in Montana the state owned the bed, or in this case, uh, although it's not entirely clear, uh, perhaps, probably, the federal government owns the bed in this case. In either event, what's important is that the tribe does not, and as a I, did, I didn't mean to interrupt you. And as a consequence of not owning that property and not being able to exclude, they also can't control it. Uh, you mentioned a moment ago the text of the 54 Act. Uh, what's the, what's the, in addition to the, to the text, what's, what's the best indication that it was within the contemplation of Congress that it was sort of buying out the regular authority, the regulatory authority? The regulatory authority of the tribe stems from its treaty rights under the same identical, basically identical treaty of 1868. And in the discussion on, on those treaty rights, I would refer you to uh, the Congressional Record 15609 where Representative Case, and this is in our briefs, said, and I quote, 
Hunting and fishing rights were also a part of the rights recognized by treaty, and to the extent these may be impaired or destroyed, the tribe is entitled to compensation apart from settlement with the Alades holding individual tracts of land. Do we know that they got it? Pardon? Do we know that they got that compensation? Yes, we do. Uh, there, was in, there was a payment of something over a million dollars for the loss of all wildlife. And uh, there was testimony by a Mr. LeBeau, LeBeau on behalf of the tribe, and he, his comment was, and I quote, the value of this loss of wildlife resources was placed at 74300 annually. Because of the fact that we are losing these resources forever, we have capitalized that sum at 4%. And then he was asked by one of the members of Congress, do you really think you're going to lose all the wildlife forever? And he affirmed, yes. So, yeah, but isn't it one thing to lose wildlife, which you can't take for its economic value, and quite a different thing to lose the authority to exclude others who might, uh, subject to your regulatory authority, come in and, and hunt and fish for the wildlife? And to lose the wildlife, I mean, a, you know, a deer cannot live on, on submerged land. We understand that. But that's a different thing from losing the, the regulatory authority over that land or even over the water uh, that, that uh, takes its place. If I understand your question, I would respond that, that clearly uh, Montana suggested that, that when that power to exclude is gone, so is the power to regulate. And I don't know if that answers your question. But does honest. Montana make it clear that that power to, to exclude is lost with respect to anything other than fee land? It, it was with regard to fee land. That is correct. What we are submitting is that whether it's a fee that's held by the government or a fee that's held by non-members, uh, in either case, the result is the same. It's gone out of the, uh, the power to exclude the stem from the treaty. And in this case, there is ample congressional history that, that they knew they were dealing with treaty rights, treaty hunting and fishing rights, as I've said with Representative Case. And also, I think it's noteworthy that that the tribe insisted in the negotiations, they were paid by Congress to negotiate, including attorney fees, as, a, as appears in Section 13. And in those negotiations, the tribe demanded that the, the 1868 treaty requirement that any acts affecting their reservation be approved by three-quarters of the adult population. They insisted that the Congress adhere to that, and the Congress did adhere to that. And this whole sale, if you will, went out to the, uh, to the members in 1955 and, and wasn't what, approved. What were the term, did the terms of the ballot refer in any way to the, uh, to the extinction of regulatory rights? The, they did not expressly talk about extinction of regulatory power, even though no such regulatory power was being asserted at that time. What the ballot did say, uh, <clears throat> if I can find it in my notes, the ballot said the Indians, Indians may graze livestock on the part of the land not flooded, and may hunt and fish in the taking area without charge. I think that that suggests that they read it just the way we read Section 10 of the 1954 Act. They have access to hunt and fish. And in fact, what they are seeking today is not access to the fish, but access to the fish herbs. With that, Your Honor, I would like to uh, reserve the balance of my time. Very well, General Barnett. Mr. Kukuchis, is that the correct pronunciation? Yes, it is, Mr. Chief, Chief Justice. You may proceed. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Um, I would like to initially um, clear up a couple of issues that came up during oral argument um, by General Barnett. Um, first of all, all, although the interest in the issue is understandable, the state's jurisdiction over the taken lands in question here, be they fee lands, formerly fee lands or formerly tribal trust lands, um, is not at issue. <clears throat> the district court um, denied the state of South Dakota a ruling on that issue because they failed to plead it in their complaint um, or to put on a case. And the Eighth Circuit affirmed that that issue is not before the court. I'm not suggesting the court should not think about the issue, but it's clear that the court need not decide that issue today because it's well, not presented well, here. Again, what issue is it you say that is not before us? The issue of whether or not the state has concurrent jurisdiction over um, the taken areas in question. If, if the state had concurrent jurisdiction, would that mean that the, uh, uh, the tribe would have to recognize 
a state license, state hunting license? Um, I'm not sure that it would, Mr. Chief Justice. Um, I think that the issue of concurrent jurisdiction raises a number of issues. Um, it, sh it should be clear in this case that the district court found that the state made no showing that its interests are hurt by exclusive tribal jurisdiction. Um, the district court also found that the shared jurisdiction of the taken strip of land would not impair the state's wildlife management. Um, in the shared past, jurisdiction between the state and the tribe? In the state and the tribe, that is correct. Um, contrary, would, would not impair the, the state's wildlife management program. So that was, in the view of the district court, something that would argue in favor of shared jurisdiction? Um, what was at issue was um, when the district court made those findings was, um, in addition to the, was, it was reaffirming its decision not to reach the issue of state jurisdiction. Um, I think what those things prove is that concurrent jurisdiction will work. The, the court was, although it was not addressing exclusive jurisdiction by the state or even whether or not the state had concurrent jurisdiction, it recognized that one cannot really think about the issue of tribal jurisdiction over this land without at least thinking about whether or not the state would have some jurisdiction. So it made those findings that um, tribal jurisdiction over this territory would not interfere with the state's wildlife program and that shared jurisdiction was likewise workable. It further made a finding that despite even the litigation in this case, um, the actual people who do this sort of management, the tribal game wardens and the state's game wardens, enjoy an amicable relationship. Was any part of those findings of the district court reversed by the Eighth Circuit? Absolutely none. Council, uh, does the tribe take the position that it has the right to exclude all non-tribal members from access to the, the lake and the adjacent property? No, Justice O'Connor, the tribe does not. Um, we believe that the 1954 Taking Act, which is the relevant legislation mm -hmm. in Section 10, um, requires that uh, the, or rather, gives the federal government um, the power to regulate um, corresponding use. That is, it reserves hunting and fishing rights to the tribe. And the Army Corps of Engineers, as the operator of the reservoir area, has the right to issue regulations governing corresponding use. The tribe has never tried since it became a taken area um, by the federal government to exclude others from it. Um, I should say, uh, however... Uh, that's a separate question, whether they've actually tried. I'm asking whether they no. want to assert the right to exclude. No, the tribe does not assert the right to exclude. Um, but I should make clear that in this case, that does not mean that the public has necessarily a right of access to it. See, the point of the taking was it is no longer tribal trust land, or rather federal land held in trust for the tribe. It's now federal land held for the reservoir project. What that means is that the Army Corps of Engineers has control over it. And although Section 4... Well, does the tribe assert that it can exclude people from coming through the reservation to reach the area in question? Um, given that this is federal lands and that one normally understands that there is a right of access to federal lands, um, the tri tribe does not believe it has a right to exclude people, um, to deny them essentially passage across the reservation. Um, that would be a difficult matter to police in any event since there is a federal highway, among other things, that goes across um, tribal trust land through the reservation to the taken area. So the tribe is not making an effort to exclude people from that area. Isn't it more than just that general, uh, that, that general uh, proposition which, uh, which makes the point? Uh, I, don't, don't the statutes provide that uh, the water areas of all Corps of Engineer products shall be open to public use generally for boating, swimming, bathing, fishing, and other recreational purposes, and ready access to and exit from such areas along the shores of such products shall be maintained for general public use? I mean, there's a specific law that... Yes, Justice Scalia. Uh, Section 4 of the Flood Control Act does require that. Um, however, that does not, and, and therefore the tribe believes it does not have the power to exclude. What I wish to point out, though, is that that does not necessarily mean that... I assume, because it says it shall be, you know... For boating, swimming, shading, fishing, and other recreational purposes. Should the Corps of Engineers decide to make that portion of Lake Oahe open for public use, which is an issue in the discretion of the Corps of Engineers, um, then the tribe does not believe it has the power to exclude people from it. We assert here only the limited power to license hunting and fishing on that area, as within the rest of the reservation, tribal trust land. How can you have the power to license Let's talk about fishing first. When, when the statute specifically says that they shall be open to public use for fishing. Well, that doesn't, but I, I don't think that answers the question as to whether or not they shall be free of all fees to license. 
I mean, to, to, you know, don't have to pay a license fee to hunt and fish. I don't understand. The, the basis for your license fee is you can't fish unless you pay me the license fee. You, you mean you, you have a right to charge a license fee even though you don't have a right to prevent them from fishing? Um, we do not believe we have the right necessarily to exclude people from the area. However, the tribe has uh, – the, the tribe is of the opinion that there was no divestiture of the power to regulate hunting and fishing in the area. I don't think that necessarily – Well, let's not call it regular. You, you, you assert the right to prevent people from fishing in the area, don't you? Pardon? Prevent people from fishing. You assert – To the require right. that they have a, a tribal fishing license. And prevent them from fishing if they do not have that license. If they do not have the license, correct. But why, I don't understand why that does not fly directly in the face of, of, of that statute. Well, to begin with, Section 4 of the Flood Control Act of 1944 is most directly relevant to the 18,000 acres of land within this swatch of territory, which was taken from fee-simple owners. We do not know how that land came to be held in fee. There is nothing in the record to indicate if it was an allotment act or what. We simply know that it was held in fee by non-members of the tribe. That land was taken by the government through eminent domain um, pursuant to the Flood Control Act. However, taken in fee? Yes. Yes, the United States took it in fee. Um, however, Section 4 of the Flood Control Act um, is not the only section of the Act that is relevant. Section 9 of that Act says that with reference to the irrigation and taking of Indian lands, that um, those will be in accord with Indian law. Section 4 of the Flood Control Act of 44 merely set up the framework during which the entire Missouri River project would take place. Section 9, which this Court interpreted in the uh, Etsy pipeline case a few years ago, was understood to be that which harmonizes section, the Flood Control Act with the remaining corpus of federal law. Part of that federal law is Indian law, which says that you cannot take Indian land pursuant, except pursuant to certain understandings. That is why the 1950 Act was passed to try and enable the tribe and the federal government to come to a negotiation. When negotiations failed to reach a satisfactory conclusion, the 1954 Cheyenne River Act was passed. That is the act pursuant to which the 104,000 acres of former tribal trust land were taken. But doesn't the tribe claim the right to exclude without a license from the previously uh, fee lands that were taken, the private lands? Yes, it does, Justice. Uh, what is the basis for that claim, since the government has taken a fee there? Well, I think, Mr. Chief Justice, the basis of that is precisely because the government has taken it. This is now land owned by the federal government for the purposes of a federal water project. So why does that give the tribe a right to demand a fishing license? Well, the, this, the federal government ceded to the tribe substantial rights over this entire area. Include, including the, the lands taken in fee from the private owners? Yes, Mr. Chief Justice. The tribe has the power to, uh, had the power before the gates of the dam closed to um, condemn or salvage um, any of the improvements. It had absolute right to take all the timber regardless of what property it was on. And it to this day now reserves all the, was reserved to this tribe the power to graze all of this land or to permit other people to graze it without regard to whether or not it was the original 18,000 acres or the 104,000 acres. Since it is all federal land, the fee land that was there has now been submerged in the larger federal corpus. And the tribe exercises authority over it with respect to mineral rights, grazing, and timber, without regard to whether or not it was originally fee land or tribal trust land. You mean exclusive rights for grazing? Yes, that was reserved in um, section, I believe, 10 of the uh, flood control of the uh, Cheyenne River. But I suppose the United States uh, could always license somebody else to graze under, a, under its authority. Um, I'm not sure that that's clear, Justice White, because the statute reserves the right to license and permit to the tribe. That does not mean that the federal government does not have a presence here in this case, um, because, for example, the tribal grazing code well, is... I, I thought you said a while ago that if the Corps of Engineers wanted to uh, permit people to fish uh, without a tribal license, they could. Yes, that is because the Corps of Engineers controls the pu public access to the water projects. The, with reference to the land, in this case, um, that was reserved expressly, the grazing rights in land were, were reserved expressly to the tribe. And there was a comptroller general opinion, I believe in 1977, which said that the tribe has exclusive authority to permit grazing on this land without regard to whether or not it had originally been taken from some fee owner or whether or not taken in trust from the tribe. Can I take you back to Justice Scalia's question? And, and as I understand his question, 
It doesn't depend, it doesn't implicate any of these reservations of rights that you have been describing here. Uh, it implicates simply uh, the, the, uh, the general provisions for the, for the governance of, of lands taken in fee by the Corps of, or by the United States for Corps of Engineers projects. Uh, and it guarantees public access. And his question is I, for fishing, and I, as I understand it, his question is, if the public has access for fishing, where do you get the authority to charge a fee in the absence of which you can exclude them? Um, well, I do, in every instance, somebody has to regulate the hunting and fishing in these circumstances. Um, the state of South Dakota certainly has no authority to exclude anyone from the taken area or from any other federal project. Well, let me, do, let, me ask you, let me ask you a variant on the question, which doesn't perhaps go to its point, but may be suggestive. Uh, is it, do you know whether, in fact, uh, in uh, other project areas which would be subject to this same statute, but not involving tribal lands, whether the states involved uh, have, or at least exercise, a regulatory authority over it so that they would, uh, in effect, uh, uh, find someone for, for fishing uh, on, on a uh, on a Corps of Engineers lake without a state hunting license. Um, yes, that is the understanding. And so your claim is that the, the tribe in this case is doing no more than the states would normally do under their hunting and fishing regulatory authority. Yes, we do not think that the taking of the federal, uh, by the federal government in this case displaces the pre-existing regulatory authority. Granted, the Corps of Engineers reserves the right to regulate corresponding use, but the practice of the Corps has been to allow the regulation that existed theretofore, if it's on federal land and that used to be state land, the state exercises it in cooperation okay. with the fishing but if, if you just looked, excuse me, But if you just looked at the text of the statute and, not, uh, and made no reference to this state practice, it would be a legitimate question then as to whether uh, there would be any basis on, uh, on, on core project lands and waters for any uh, authority, at least other than the United States, uh, to uh, well, no, strike this proviso. There would be a serious question as, as to whether any authority could preclude uh, anyone from fishing uh, uh, subject to the payment of a fee. Um, there, I think there are two answers to that. The first is found within Section 4 of the Flood Control Act itself, which in its last line says that nothing in this will, I mean, it's essentially an anti-preemption clause, nothing in this will preempt um, otherwise applicable state laws for the management or conservation of, of fishing game. Okay. Um, it is the understanding when the federal government, and there's also the provision in... But that won't help you. Well, that, that replies with respect to the example that anybody would have authority. Our position is that given that the tribe enjoyed authority to regulate this land beforehand, that the federal government took it for its own purposes with a reservation of substantial authority to the tribe, that there is nothing in the Cheyenne River... But you have express reservations of grazing rights and timber rights and so on, but you have no express reservation of this regulatory... There is, there is an express reservation of a right to hunt and fish, which is not exclusive. Other people are, uh, you know, can yeah. enjoy that as well. However, it is a right to hunt and fish, which is not the same as merely the public's right of access. Otherwise, there would have been no need to preserve it. Um, don't, you, don't you think that's unusual to say, uh, you know, the, the, this fee that we've taken is, is so total, we've taken everything away from you, that, that we feel we, we have to give you back the right to hunt and fish, but we don't have to mention anything about your right to continue to govern the land um, uh, uh, to the extent of excluding other people. I mean, it would seem to me that, that, that if it was necessary to mention that the Indians continue to have the right to hunt and fish or otherwise they wouldn't have it, Surely it would have been necessary to mention, and they have the right to prevent others from hunting and fishing. The issue of jurisdiction simply didn't come up. Both the District Court and the Eighth Circuit found that there was nothing in either the statute or in the legislative history which addressed the issue of jurisdiction in this case. Congress was dealing exclusively with the property rights. Um, it is the, the basic um, understanding under federal law when they take under, pursuant to uh, title 40, Section 255, that the pre-existing jurisdiction over that land is not disturbed. Um, in this case, there is one reference in the legislative history and one reference in the statute, which seems to indicate that the tribe preserves regulatory power. Um, and that is that in Section 10, it reserves the rights to hunt and fish, not just to members of the tribe and to the tribe, but to the tribal council and members of said tribe. 
Um, everywhere else in the Cheyenne River Act where the Congress used the phrase tribal council, it refers to the tribal council as a governing body. Um, therefore, something must be meant in Section 10 beyond a mere right to hunt and fish by reserving this power to the tribal council. If we are to read it, as this Court advised last week in Magansett versus Samuels, so that every word and clause of the statute has meaning, and tribal council must mean something more than the mere right to hunt and fish because every member of the tribal council enjoyed that already by virtue of the general reference to a reservation of powers to hunt and fish. In light of that, the one place in the legislative history that addresses the tribe's jurisdiction actually occurred in a colloquy between the tribe's representative and Representative Barry, the sponsor of the legislation, the day after the conversation that General Barnett referred to. And in that instance, um, the tribe said that it read Section 10, which was now before it and was adopted in that form, to reserve to the tribe the power to hunt and fish um, and to regulate the taking of hunting and fish. He said specifically, no white person can go on this land without a license to hunt and fish. Nothing was said from the committee or any place else to disturb that notion. Now, that isn't a whole lot on which to go on, but certainly the only thing in the statute that addresses the issue of jurisdiction is something that indicates that the tribal council was to retain some power, and it can't be merely the right to go hunt and fish en masse. It must mean some form of regulatory power. Moreover, Maybe it was regulatory power over tribal members. I beg your pardon? Maybe it was just regulatory power over tribal members. Um, that the tribe would ha council would have in any event by virtue of the Indian Reorganization Act and the tribal constitution, and that would have been, again, an unnecessary reservation of right. The tribe council always has powers over its members because it is a sovereign, sovereign at least in that limited sense. Um, if, if I could, just just for a moment, the basic um, aspect of, of the Cheyenne River Act, what distinguishes it and what distinguishes this case from the Montana case, which is the most relevant on point. And that is this court, when it addressed the similarly narrow regulatory issue of tribal power over non-member fee land in Montana, said that one must look at tribal power over land in light of the subsequent alienation of that land. In this case, the land was not alienated to private landowners, to homesteaders, in fee simple. It was alienated to the federal government with a reservation of substantial rights to the tribe. And that is the second issue. That is the scope of the alienation. Um, nothing was retained in Montana. It was fee simple. Here, the tribe retained all the rights that we have discussed, including, importantly, the right to graze livestock on this area or to license the grazing of livestock, which is important because that is where this litigation arose. The tribe was concerned about hunters coming on to reservation land because this area is Indian land locked. It is between Indian land exclusively on one side and the lake on the other and disturbing the, the herds that were grazing there, leaving open the fences, disturbing the buffalo herd, and so on. Well, why did the tribe do nothing for 30 years if it had these concerns? Uh, in fact, Mr. Chief Justice, the tribe did not do nothing. Um, and contrary to what the state of South Dakota has told you, the district court found, and in these findings are Joint Appendix, page 65, that the tribe has always asserted jurisdiction over this taken area, both before it was taken and since 1954. It has never acquiesced in state jurisdiction and that the jurisdictional matrix which has in fact ensued is that the tribe enforces its tribal fishing and hunting regulations against all, including non-members, on the taken land, whereas the state of South Dakota has limited its enforcement to non-members. Those are the findings of the district court, and they are not disturbed. Um, in, in, in that, moreover, if I can get back to it, strictly respect to the grazing, it gave the grazing, which is the, single, the most important aspect of this land, because it is done pursuant to the tribal grazing code, the district court found that it gives the tribal land a distinct Indian flavor because it is crisscrossed by fences setting up these areas. That code is enforced by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Um, and in fact, the entire area has a pervasive federal presence. Um, the tribal regulation is subject to oversight by the Corps of Engineers, but not by the state. Um, the enforcement of tribal regulations in accord with tribal ordinance number three have always included the availability of federal enforcement. Um, all tribal fish and hunting regulations and ordinances are initially approved by the Secretary of the Interior. Thank you, Mr. Kukurchis. Uh, Mr. Feldman, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. <clears throat> I'd like to address, uh, first to make it clear the land uh, that we're talking about. There are about 104,000 acres of land here that were taken in 1954 by the federal government that formerly had been trust lands. What happened when the land was taken was the land continued in, title continued in the United States as it had been held before, but whereas before it was held for the beneficial use of the Indians, 
After 1954, the bundle of sticks was divided up a little bit differently. After 1954, the federal government got title to the land and got all the uses of the land that were essential for its purposes of flood control and irrigation and for the secondary purposes uh, for which the uh, Corps of Engineers runs uh, these projects. Like the, what? Like uh, uh, swimming, picnicking, camping. Fishing. Uh, fishing. It's true. Hunting. All, all sorts of other purposes that once the federal government has the land, it sets it aside for the purposes of. However, significant, and in fact all of the other economically viable uses of the land that remained were in the Indians. And I think it's a mistake uh, to look at what happened here as uh, the Indians being left with only a bare vestige or, or a very minor amount of rights in these lands. Um, as has been pointed out, they have the right to graze cattle on all of the land. Uh, they have the right to uh, they have the right to remove timber. They have mineral rights not only in the land exclusive but also rights. exclusive rights to graze cattle. That's right. They have exclusive rights to remove to remove the timber uh, up till this day. They have uh, the mineral rights both in the land and under the water. I think that those circumstances distinguish this case from from Montana to a great extent. In Montana, the court held that the continued exercise of tribal jurisdiction depends on the, on, on the um, must be seen in light of the subsequent alienation of the land. In Montana, the purpose but of Mr. the- Mr. Fellman, it, it, it is clear, I suppose, that under the, the act, uh, the tribe did not retain the power to exclude people from public uses of the park area and the river. That's and right. The reservoir. That's right. They can camp and, and fish and use it, presumably. That's right. Can the tribe exclude people from coming on to that property? Well, I, what I would say about exclusion is the In your view? The, they, can't, they, can't keep, they can't keep people off altogether. But to impose a licensing fee basically for the benefits that the people are getting from using the facilities on the land is different from excluding them altogether. And I think when the, what the Court of Appeals held in this well, case... Well, it's, it's pretty close to it. If you don't have a license, you can't use it. Right. And if, if, the, if the licensing fee were prohibitively high or unusual in some way in which, uh, in which I don't think it is in this case, or if other tribal regulations in some way essentially forced uh, non-members not to use the land, then I think those would be preempted by the Flood Control Act and by the and by the federal. The Since the, the federal act government. was so specific, isn't it rather odd that it didn't cover this aspect? The 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 1954 act. Yes. I don't think it is. I think the 1954 act was a division of the property rights in, in the land of the bundle of sticks of ownership of that land as to who got what uses after that. I don't think that anyone, and I think this is what the District Court and the Court of Appeals said, I don't think anyone was thinking about continuing regulatory authority over the land. Would well, do you say that the federal government would have the right to, to require hunting and fishing licenses from people? I think that actually, I think that with, it's a, maybe a little bit of a complex answer. I think with respect to the uh, water areas, mm -hmm. I, I think the Corps would have a hard time uh, trying to uh, 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 force people to obtain, say, some kind of federal license to go fishing in light of the language that says that people shall be able to do that without charge. I think that was directed at the Corps' authority and as to the, what it was supposed to do with this land and, and how it was supposed to make so an open recreational purpose. you don't take the position purpose. that the federal government could require licensing. Well, but I do think outside, I think aside from that one proviso, I think with respect to uh, the rest of the land area and with respect to other sorts of regulation of the land, I think the Corps does have authority uh, to, to, uh, uh, to do what it deems necessary. It has given the authority in the Flood Control Act to operate well, uh, what's recreational. What's the meaning of, of the uh, language giving the states whatever regulatory authority? I think the state may also have regulatory authority over the land. I, I, the, at least the state may also have the authority to regulate the hunting and fishing on the but land. This is an incredibly muddled situation that, that your, your answers suggest. I, well, I, I guess let me let me try to clarify it for you. Um, I think with respect to this land, essentially the Corps doesn't has never has tried to impose hunting or fishing licenses on the land. And under Corps regulations, state uh, and local regulations, which would include uh, both state and uh, tribal regulations in this case, would apply to this land. And if someone wants, how do we know it would include tribal? I, I was interested in that. Is is the regulation that says? all other federal, state, and local laws and regulations remain in full force and effect where applicable? 
Does that include, uh, does that include tribal laws? Yes, I would take the word local. To you would take it? Would the Corps of Engineers take it? Well, yeah. I noticed that they're not on your brief, that the, 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 the Department of Interior is, but not the Corps of Engineers. Is, it, is, it, is that significant in any respect? I, I wouldn't attribute uh, significance to that. I think can I assume that everything, everything you, you argue is, is, is agreed to by, uh, yes. by the Corps? Yes, you can. And, in fact, although I think the Corps over the years has wondered about this, in part because it was unclear for some time whether this land was part of the reservation at all. And at the time when it was thought that it might not be, then different rules apply, of course. But I think once that got clarified in this case, the federal government has a single position here that all of uh, uh, that's the federal government's position. Well, that's an easy case, then, if, uh, if the regulation, <laughs> I mean, what are we going through all this trouble for? It's clear that the Corps has the authority to issue these regulations, and if the, the, if the sentence in the regulations, all other federal, state, and local laws and regulations remain in full force and effect were applicable to those water resource development projects, that's an easy, this is an easy case. Yeah. Why hasn't that argument been made? As far as I know, it has not been made. I, I, that, believe, that, I believe that respondents make that argument in their brief. Make the argument that this regulation, local laws under this regulation, Re includes? Yes, I, I believe they recognize that. But in any event, I think that the important point is I that, get it. The, unlike in Montana, this land is ultimately governed by the federal government. And uh, the federal government not only does not see anything inconsistent in tri permitting tribal regulation of hunting and fishing on this land, especially in light of the checkerboard nature of, of the, the area being surrounded by, by lands on which the tribe undoubtedly has birth. And you say it is the interpretation of the Corps of Engineers that local laws in Section 327.0 of their rules and regulations governing public use of water resource development includes tribal laws. Yes. The intent of the Corps, the intent of the Corps was to have other laws that govern fish and game apply so that the Corps doesn't have to adopt a specific federal code to govern those kinds of matters uh, on, on, um, on Corps land. The Corps... <clears throat> Yes, but how can that all survive the provision in Section 4 that the water areas shall be open to public use generally without charge for boating, swimming, bathing, fishing, and so forth? Later on. I think that, first of all, the without, I think that that is directed toward the Corps, and that was Congress's prescription to the Corps that it should not make charges for access to these areas. Congress specifically indicated that it wanted to, wanted to continue regulation of hunting and fishing. Indeed, Regulation of some regulation of hunting and fishing is necessary in order to preserve uh, the the stock of fish and game on the land. You really some system with certain seasons and uh, certain types of animals and fish being taken at certain times is required, or you won't have any fishing or any hunting by well, any so means. I guess it so means without charge by the federal government. Yes. In any way, Mr. Feldman, that that sentence goes on to say. Uh, as uh, shall be maintained when such use is determined by the Secretary of the Army, not to be contrary to the public interest, all under such rules and regulations as the Secretary of the Army may deem necessary, which is why I think that provision of, of CFR uh, is, is so crucial here. That, that's right. They don't really have to, to allow any fishing at all if they don't think it's in the public interest. That, that's correct. And generally speaking, if the Corps, for instance, felt that the flood control or irrigation purposes of this project would be disserved by permitting people on some area of it or on the whole thing, then they could prohibit any hunting and fishing on the project. You can't tell from that regulation whether state, state and local laws, whether it gives the nod to the state or the tribe, because both law, both hunting laws are covered by those reg that regulation. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. Yes, and I think that not unlike many other circumstances, it may well be, although the issue of state jurisdiction isn't, isn't really, wasn't really decided below, but it may well be that both the state and the tribe can impose requirements on people who want to hunt on this land. They have a history before this dispute arose. The district court found that they had a history of cooperative control. And indeed, given the fact that the game moved back and forth from tribal to trust to uh, state lands and so on, uh, uh, that kind of cooperation is going to be necessary. So the federal government anyway. is, is quite willing to see that. Uh, see both of them exact a license, uh, so far as the federal interest is concerned. That's right. If there were some, if that caused some undue problem, uh, the Corps could always remedy that by adopting its own regulations and preempting both of them. Thank you, Mr. Feldman. Thank you. Uh, General Barnett, you have three minutes remaining. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the Court, Mr. Chief Justice. Uh, I'm not sure what part of the record that uh, counsel for the government is referring to in regard to a core interpretation, but I will say that the record does reflect in 1976 a letter from the Corps to the Lower Brule Tribe, which is on the same river, just downriver, 
suggesting that their ordinances did not have effect over the take area. I would submit the uh, a letter of September of 1986 from the Corps to our Game Fish and Parks Department, which is at uh, Joint Appendix 288. Quote, the position of the Corps has always been that the regulation of hunting and fishing on Corps land is a matter of state law. This, land, this was clearly the intent of Section 4 of the Flood Control Act. And again, as we have said, Section 4 of the Flood Control Act says no use of these properties will be permitted, which is inconsistent with state game laws. General, I, um, I, I don't find Section 327.0, which is the regulation I was reading, I don't find that cited in, in either the brief for the government or, or the, uh, the brief for the uh, tribe in this case. At least if their index is correct, it's, uh, it, it hasn't been cited. There is a cite to point eight, which is in the tribal brief, and we do not agree with the interpretation that uh, state or local regulations would include tribal. As this court has said in a variety of cases, the, the attempt by a tribe to exercise jurisdiction over non-members on non-Indians on non-Indian land will be viewed narrowly. In contrast, the court has also had a line of cases that express the concept of the state sovereignty which exists to the extent not taken up or preempted by federal law. Well, General Barnett, if the Corps of Engineer regulation were very specific and expressly said state and tribal regulation, would, would they have the authority to permit joint regulation then? They might, although I, I would submit that would be in conflict with Section 4 of the Act, which clearly contemplates... Well, they, they might. Uh, it's feasible that, uh, that two, uh, the tribe and the state may be able to charge a fee, but uh, once you get into uh, other regulations, uh, it would really be a... Really be, the Indians might have one notion of take limits, and uh, the state might have another. You can't live up to them both. And, and that is the problem with shared jurisdiction. And I might add that the findings that were referred to uh, by the tribe in the district court, those findings about shared jurisdiction were in, the, were in a ruling on the preliminary injunction with regard to the question of whether or not the state could show irreparable injury pending litigation. I w my time is up, Your Honor. Thank you. Thank you, General Barnett. The case is submitted.